Welcome to the Voices in Health Law podcast presented by the American Bar Association Health Law Section. My name is Felicia Z. I'm the managing partner of Athene Law in San Francisco, and I'm pleased to be joined by Kevin Milne, the Senior Assistant Chief Counsel at the California Department of Health Care Services, and formerly the Chief Counsel at United States Department of Health and Human Services, Office of General Counsel, Region 9. Kevin is joining us today in a series of podcasts by the ABA Health Law Sections covering governmental and other regulatory managed care issues. He'll be speaking about the Medicare Advantage program, and this will be a bit of a nuts and bolts session on Medicare Advantage. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. My pleasure, Felicia. Happy to be here. Thank you. Now, you work at the California Department of Healthcare Services. That is the state agency that administers Medicaid in California, correct? That is correct. And how is it that you came to become familiar with the Medicare and Medicare Advantage program? Well, I have been a healthcare lawyer for about 25 years, and one of my first jobs very early in my career was actually as a staff attorney for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which uh, administers the Medicare program. And I had the good fortune to be there right around the time that um, the Medicare Managed Care Program got into full swing with the implementation of Part C, which is what we're going to be talking about today. I've practiced in the managed care arena for a good, a good part of my career, and it's a fascinating program, and I'm happy to share what I know about it today. Thank you so much. Now, we've talked both about the Medicare program and the Medicaid program. For those beginners among us, what's the difference between those two programs? Well, the Medicare program is basically a program that serves people who are age 65 or older or people who are under age 65 with certain disabilities and also people of any age who have certain conditions such as end-stage renal disease. So unlike the Medicaid program, the Medicare program is limited to just persons within those groups. Now, there are certain other conditions or requirements for eligibility, but those are the core groups that are covered by the Medicare program. Got it. And and the Medicaid program tends to cover whom? Well, it's more of a needs-based program. So in addition to covering certain groups that fall within certain demographic groups, there also can be certain restrictions on income and resources that may make one ineligible for that program. So unlike Medicare, it's really designed to serve those who are uh, low income or who have serious disabilities. And who administers the Medicare program? The Medicare program is primarily administered by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Washington, D.C. And I'm doing this comparison just so the folks know, and that's different from the Department of Healthcare Services in California, right? That's correct. The Medicaid program, in comparison, is a, is a joint program that's administered by both federal and state governments. So within broad parameters or guidelines outlined in federal law, states have the ability to administer their own programs that fit within those parameters. And so it's important to point out that whereas the Medicare Managed Care program is pretty much the same in all 50 states, There's a lot of variation in the Medicaid programs among the 50 states, and therefore each Medicaid plan or or program within a state can be different from others. 
it just helps to have that background as we get into the, some more detailed information about Medicare Advantage. Now, earlier in the call, you used the term Part C to describe Medicare Advantage. What does Part C mean? Sure. So let's go back a little bit to the initiation of the Medicare program. When Medicare was first passed in, in 1965, it consisted of Parts A and Parts B. Part A provides coverage for hospital services, and Part B provides coverage for physician services. Part C came along in 1997 with the passage of the Balanced Budget Act, and it was a way of melding principles of managed care with the Medicare program. That would have been a big difference for the Medicare program originally that was all administered by the federal government, by CMS. Correct. Um, Correct. Initially, um, Parts A and Parts B are referred to them as traditional Medicare. Their payment process or the payment system for that, those two parts, was basically what's called fee-for-service. Beneficiaries went to a provider or a hospital and the provider or the hospital, the physician or the hospital submitted a, a, a claim for payment to the federal government. Under Part C, however, it's, it's very different. Although Part C covers all of the benefits that Parts A and B cover, the payment system is, is very different. How so? Well, under Part C, instead of submitting claims for payment for each service, for each hospital stay. Under Part C, private companies contract with the federal government to deliver to those enrollees of their plans all of those services that are covered under Parts A and B. And in exchange for the obligation to provide those services to each person, the managed care companies receive in return a payment, a capitated payment, which is basically a set amount per member per month. And in exchange for receiving those capitated payments, the managed care companies are obligated to provide the services covered under Parts A and Parts B. Well, that's fascinating. So essentially what it does is it takes what was more of a program that was administered by a public agency and privatized it in some ways. What would be the reason why the federal government would look to privatizing the Medicare program? Well, there were a couple of reasons uh, for doing that. One was wanting to give Medicare beneficiaries more choice in how they receive their care. So instead of receiving it through the traditional delivery system of fee-for-service, they could actually receive it through managed care organizations through HMOs or PPOs. Another reason for the federal government wanting to do this was to basically bring to the Medicare program the same sorts of efficiencies and cost savings that managed care organizations were achieving in the private sector. So you talked about beneficiary choice, that Medicare enrollees would have broader choice. Are they forced to enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan? No, they are not. It's, it's completely voluntary. You can remain in traditional Medicare under the fee-for-service system, or you can enroll in Part C, Medicare plus uh, Medicare Advantage. 
but you're not forced to enroll in either one of those. Great. It just because uh, there's Medicare Part A, there's Part B, and there's Part C. I think there's also a Medicare Part D. Do you mind giving us a quick summary of what that is? Sure. Um, so under original Medicare Parts A and B, there was very limited coverage for prescription drugs. Essentially, prescription drugs are covered under the Medicare program Parts A and B only if they are um, basically administered in a physician's office. So a lot of self-administered drugs are not covered under Medicare. Part D is a program, excuse me, that provides coverage for prescription drugs, and it operates under similar principles as Part C. Essentially, private companies contract with the federal government to provide coverage for prescription drugs to enrollees of their plans in exchange for a fixed payment per member per month. Do Part C Medicare Advantage plans ever also contract with the federal government to provide Part D benefits? Well, it's interesting. Sometimes one of the advantages to enrolling in a Medicare Advantage plan is that in addition to receiving this, the items and the services that are covered under Parts A and B, Medicare Advantage plans also offer additional items or services that are not covered under Parts A and B. And sometimes they can include prescription drugs. Very interesting. So there's a lot more flexibility in the Medicare Advantage program than there was under traditional Medicare. There is, there is. Of course, unlike traditional Medicare, while there's some flexibility, there's also some of the restrictions on, for example, provider choice that you might find in um, a, a very typical standard managed care sort of arrangement that don't exist in the fee-for-service delivery system. And so I think you mentioned a little bit, but could we get a little bit more detail on how these private companies get paid by the federal government to cover the Medicare services for their enrollees? Sure. Um, I, I will preface my remarks by saying that the provisions for payment for Medicare Advantage plans are probably among the most complex of all of the provisions that govern Part C. So we talked a little bit about capitation and capitation is essentially the payment of a fixed amount each month for an enrollee in a Medicare Advantage plan. So each Medicare Advantage plan receives a a base payment for an enrollee of that plan. But that's just the beginning of the, the payment methodology or the payment structure for MA plans. Those payments are adjusted for a number of, uh, based on a number of different factors, including, for example, how well a managed care organization manages the care for their enrollees, whether the managed care organization receives or makes certain um, quality, reaches certain quality measures. So there's some variability that's built into the payment structure that is intended to be an incentive to managed care organizations to provide quality care and to do it efficiently. So I see a lot in the press about an issue called 
uh, Medicare Advantage risk adjustment. Do you mind explaining what that is and how it affects the Medicare program? Sure, this is a really timely topic. Risk adjustment has been in the papers lately, uh, so it's worth exploring this topic in more detail. We talked a little bit about the payment methodology being capitation, and basically the capitated payment is includes several components, uh, one of which is an adjustment to the base amount that's paid for an enrollee to compensate for their particular healthcare needs. Basically, a MA organization is paid more for enrollees who are sicker or have higher healthcare needs than the average Medicare beneficiary. And the way that this, the way that these payments are determined is based on the information contained in medical records that uh, providers make or have for um, patients of Medicare. The information in those records is used to calibrate the capitated payments to ensure that the managed care plan is receiving additional compensation as necessary for particular enrollees to make sure that they can treat and provide the care that those enrollees need for the upcoming year. And it's important to note that not only can payments be increased to compensate for the care needs of, of enrollees who might be sicker, but they can also be decreased if, for example, an enrollee is healthier than an average Medicare beneficiary. Right, so to boil that down, the Medicare Advantage program pays more if a patient's medical records suggest that the patient is sicker and then less if the patient appears to be healthier, right? That's correct. So it's basically a way of trying to forecast what the healthcare needs will be for a particular Medicare Advantage enrollee based on their medical history. So why have we been seeing so much? This seems like a very technical area. Why has there been so much about risk adjustment in the news lately? Well, um, I guess one of the one of the ways that this payment methodology can be abused is when, for example, managed care organizations overstate how sick a particular enrollee of their plan might be. Maybe they encourage their doctors to find more illnesses and include those illnesses in their medical records, in their documentation, so that the payment for those enrollees is higher. Um, in, certainly the news has reported several lawsuits uh, brought by the federal government against a number of large HMOs and managed care organizations for this practice, where the organizations encourage physicians to overstate illnesses or recorded information in the medical records that made the beneficiary or the enrollee of their plan appear sicker than they actually were in order to increase payments. And then on the other side, it could be seen that they were just potentially more accurately uh, describing the physical status of their enrollees, right? That's correct. And, and what do you think are some of the other hot topics or challenges involved in Man Medicare Advantage right now? Well, I think one of the challenges that we're seeing in the Medicare program, but that is especially relevant to the Medicare Advantage program, is just the sustainability of the program. In a 2020 report by the Medicare trustees, Part A, 
the hospital insurance fund was projected to be depleted by 2026. So basically there wouldn't be enough funds after 2026 to cover the costs of hospital care. One of the criticisms that's leveled against Part C is that the federal government pays more for Medicare Advantage enrollees per person than Medicare would pay for those same enrollees if they were enrolled in just traditional Medicare parts A and B. And that's a longstanding criticism of part C and, and Medicare Advantage plans. So Medicare Advantage is really having a greater impact on the overall sustainability of the Medicare program. In addition to that, we're also there's also challenges with network adequacy. So in order to ensure that there are enough providers, physicians, for example, to treat the enrollees of a Medicare Advantage plan, Medicare Advantage plans need to ensure that they have a sufficient network of providers who can deliver those services. Lots of physicians, especially primary care doctors, aren't always eager to contract with Medicare Advantage plans to provide those services because they often feel that they're not reimbursed adequately. So there is some tension in making sure, ensuring that there's sufficient networks of hospitals and providers to treat the enrollees of Medicare Advantage plans. And when there aren't, that can lead to serious quality of care concerns for the enrollees of the plans. That sounds pretty serious. I have one last question for you, and I think this kind of touches on something um, in our conversations, I think, that you've worked on before. If I'm a young lawyer looking, or maybe a lawyer that's new to Medicare and Medicare Advantage, and I want to research Medicare Advantage rules and standards, where would you recommend they look? Well, fortunately for that young person, there are plenty of really comprehensive and thorough guides and um, resources that can help them figure out what's going on with Part C. I tend to really enjoy reading the preamble to the federal rules that promulgate the provisions of Part C. I think CMS does a really good job in the preamble discussions to those rules of just explaining how the rule works, how CMS interprets um, the statute through those regulations. In addition, there's also a really reliable and thorough sub-regulatory guidance that CMS provides. The Medicare Managed Care Manual is available on the CMS website, and it's a pretty thorough guide to understanding the rules and the statute on Part C. So those are the two that I normally rely on. I think that they, I think CMS does a really good job in providing those kinds of resources to practitioners who work um, in the area, in this area, and particularly with Part C. I would agree. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us today. I think this is going to provide a lot of useful information. Um, obviously, this is a bit of a primer for folks who do this on a regular basis, but we see a lot of new folks getting into the Medicare Advantage world, and we hope that this will provide them with additional guidance as they move forward. This has been the Voices in Health Law podcast. I'm Felicia Z. I've been joined by Kevin Milne today talking about the Medicare Advantage program, and we thank you for joining us today. Thank you. 
The Health Law Section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible. Five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and VMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health.